right. Once again, I don't know if you feel it, but I love Family Sunday. I love hearing these, these kids sing out. I love hearing all of us together in one place. Um, this is our final Sunday in our series on church words. Uh, and since it is Family Sunday, listen, I'm going to give you guys permission to do something, all right? It may mess me up altogether, but oh well, we'll figure it out, right? If I say a word that you're like, I don't get that word, I don't understand what that means, I give you permission to just raise your hand and ask me that word, all right? Kids, that applies to you too. Probably you're the only ones that would be willing to do it, uh, but that's fine. I, I'd love to. I'd love to do that because I, I want to remind us as a church family, right, that this is Family Sunday. That we have kids in our church who will be future pastors, future missionaries, future elders, future ministry team leaders, future uh, people who have taken heart of what God has called them to do and live it out in their workplace. And so we get to be a witness to a lot of that process. But what I love about it also is it reminds us that they don't have to start in the same place as we did. That hopefully we are a church family that is raising them up in a way that says, you don't have to start where we started, you have a step up. And you can move and continue the momentum of the faith as we continue. Imagine a generation, right, that sings from their heart this song, if you want my heart, I won't second guess. Because I need your love more than anything. I'm here. I'm yours. Your love's too good. What, what would this generation do if they took that to heart? Well, I'll give you an example. We would see things like week-long prayer and worship times at universities across the U.S., which is happening. And so I love Family Sunday because we get to re remember that the gospel goes a lot longer from here. And so, like I said, this is our last Sunday in this series. Uh, it's been a good series for me to kind of revisit some of these words. Um, and what I want to remind you is, remind you, is that we are a church that is for kids, right? Like, like kids, all of you in here, kids, I want you to pay attention for just a moment. Listen, we are for you. We want to see you take hold of the faith, grow in the faith, take the message and the good news of Jesus Christ to your schools, to your colleges, to your future workplaces as you begin to lead the church in the future. But you don't have to wait until you're old to do it. I know for many of you, old is like 25, um, but you know, one day you'll learn, right? But, but you get the idea, right? That, that the, the great commission that we're gonna talk about today, this word commission is not something you have to wait until you're old to participate in. If you've taken the gospel and the good news of God into your heart, it's something that you can be a part of right now. And so you may be in here this morning and this is maybe your first family Sunday and things are usually a little bit louder than usual. Things are a little bit more distracting and there's a good chance on the way out you're gonna step on a Lego, all right? <laughs> but I want you to be distracted with the good news that there are families and kids who are committed to the gospel. I don't know if I should do this or not. Kayla, what's your question? All right, we're going to talk about that. Thank you. All right, so, um, so awesome. So this morning we're going to talk about the Great Commission. Uh, I have four verses, and I would love it if any of the kids would like to come read. So can, can I get a hand, any hands that want to come up and read from, all right, come on, Caleb. Anybody else? Charlotte? Faith, you want to come up here? Come on up here. No? You, you, you can read from here? How about, how about, listen, come on up here. I'll figure it out. 
You can repeat after me, all right? We have one more who wants to read, maybe an older one. Come on, Cadence. All righty, so we're gonna read four scriptures. Um, oh, we got five, we'll figure it out, all right? Come on, come on up here, I can share the stage. Come on, come on in, scoot on up here. All right, so we have four scriptures that we're gonna read that all have to do with the Great Commission, and it starts with Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 16 through 20. All right, Caleb, I'm gonna have you read that one. We got, we're ready? All right, you got this, and I'll hold the mic for you, right here. The Great Commission. Now, the 11 disciples went to Yahweh, to the mountain to where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make, make disciples of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe and all, and all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Good job. All right. Thank you, Caleb. All right, I'm going to scoot past you. You're going to get the next one. All right, the next one is Acts 1-8. What's your name? Hey, Charlie. Charlie, awesome. All right, Acts 1-8. All right. And it says, let's see, right here. It says, but you will receive power. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit. Has come upon you. Has come upon you. And you will be my witness. And you would be my witness. In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. In all Judea and Samaria. In all Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. And to the ends of the earth. Awesome. Good, good work. All right. We have, let's see, Mark 16. Let me find it here. Sixteen, fifteen, and sixteen. All right. What's your name? Faith. Faith. All right. So you read fifteen and sixteen. You ready? Okay. He said. And he said. I, I don't. And he said to them, "Go into all the world and proclaim." The gospel to the whole creation, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not be believe will be condemned. That's good right there. All right, good work. All right, and the last one is Second Corinthians chapter 5. All right, and this is kind of a longer one, so you guys can share it. 18 through 21. So, all right, you want to start here? So start right there, 18. All this is from God, who though Christ reconciled, reconciled us to himself and gave us the Ministry of my reconciliation, and that 
is in Christ's body was reconciling the world the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message against them of reconciliation. Good job. All right, let's finish it off right there, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, we need him to be sin who knew so who knew no sense that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Perfect. All right. Thank you all. Good work. All right. You guys did awesome. You know, that's just a, another reminder, right? As a church family, we're not, we're not here because we have really good practices, but because we believe in the word of God, right? And that word of God is not entrusted to only the professionals, right? It's also entrusted to the children. And those children have a significant place in the kingdom of God. And so those four verses really lay out for us the good news that Jesus has given us, which is called the Great Commission. And the idea of a commission is basically God saying, here's what I want you to do, right? You commission a painting, right, by saying, I want you to do this. I want you to paint this. You commission people by saying, you need to go out and do something. But what's interesting is this mission that Jesus has given us was not just Jesus's mission. You see, it goes all the way back to Genesis 3 when there was this promise that the evil that had entered the world would one day be crushed by a snake crusher. And that through humanity, through the, the, the woman, right, the, the human race, right, it would give birth to the one who would crush the snake. God promised it. And so God began to use people in the Old Testament to move his mission forward. People like Noah, eventually a man named Abraham. It continued through his family into the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel was led by judges and priests and prophets and kings, men like David and Moses and Joshua, women like Deborah and Esther and Ruth. And eventually that nation gave birth to a Messiah. And that Messiah, as it says in 2 Corinthians, became sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. That all humanity through, through Jesus Christ could be reconciled to come back into the family of God. And so we get this picture at the end of the gospels where, where Jesus goes to the cross in our place as it was prophesied. And he dies the death that we deserved and he takes on the full wrath of God in our place and he dies. Three days later, he rises again. And as he rises again, he, he tells the apostles what their calling is to do when he leaves the earth. And their calling was to live out the mission that God had given us. The mission that was being used through humans all throughout the Old Testament and continues in the New Testament. That's why in Matthew 28, it says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority or all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." This is what's known as the Great Commission because this is Jesus standing before the disciples and I 
don't think it's just the 12. Right? I think there are many people that are standing there that have come into realization of who Jesus was after the resurrection, and he's giving them this commission to don't just stand there and watch, but to be part of the mission of God going forward. So in the most simple sense, right, going back to Matthew 28, most simple sense, what God has called us to do in his mission is to go and make disciples. And last week we shared this definition of a disciple, and I know you all went home, spent all week diligently memorizing every piece of it because I told you to. Just kidding, I didn't believe you actually did that. Um, right? But I did, uh, funny side note, one of, one of my kids had to watch from home last week. He wasn't feeling good. He's like, I was tired of that definition by the end of the sermon. I said, good, maybe you'll learn it. See, see, the definition of disciple that we kind of have settled on, that we're gonna focus on for the next year is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. Right? Someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. Right? And last week we talked about how, the, how the, being a disciple means that we follow Jesus. Right? We do what Jesus did. We think like Jesus thought, and as we do so, it transforms us. It changes us. It changes who we are. But then it says, committed to the mission of Jesus. And as we are committed to the mission of Jesus, that means we are to take our faith, we are to take our, our understanding of the gospel, and we are to share it with the world. And it comes in much bigger forms than just our voice. So how does it say that we do that? It says that we baptize by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Baptizing them is to showing that the calling is not just an add-on to the rest of their life. Right? It's not like I, I, I'm a fisherman and I follow Jesus. Right? It's not like I'm a mother and I follow Jesus. It's not like I am an engineer and I follow Jesus. It's not like I'm a soccer player and I follow Jesus. Right, when you follow Jesus and when you're baptized, you are putting yourself to death in order to be raised to new life. That means all of your ambitions and your desires and your wants and all the things that are drawing you away from your creator are put to death. And you are raised to a new life through the work of Jesus. So when he says baptize, he's saying, don't just add it on to the pantheon of gods that already exist in the Roman culture in that day. He's saying, radically transform everything about how you see God through baptism into salvation and to the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why it says, baptize them in whose name? In the name of Yahweh the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The second part it says is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That means that you and I are commissioned to point people to the teachings of Jesus educationally. Right? We, we read our Bibles and we study God's word. We, we understand it in our brains, right? And it transforms us as, as it works on. But it also that we help people understand it relationally. Observation is not just simply that we understand in our brains. There are countless people in our world who have read the Bible frontwards and backwards but have no clue who Jesus is because they've never observed the transformation that takes place when someone comes in contact with a risen Jesus. In order to teach people to observe the things God has commanded us, it means you have to be close to them. You have to be near them. It means inviting people over for lunch or dinner, sitting across the table from them and sharing with them how God is transforming and continuing to transform you. It means having deep, long conversations with people. 
You know, when I was in college, um, I went to a Christian college, and occasionally there was these kind of small churches in the area that would um, call up the school and like, hey, we need someone to come preach this week. And so they'd send one of us college kids, right? And we had it all figured out, so we were imparting all the wisdom of a 22-year-old who has read the Bible for, you know, a little bit of time to go preach, and they were super gracious. It was, it was very nice of them to put up with us, I promise. But one of the things that we always did was after church, one of the people in the church would invite us over for lunch, and we'd sit across the table and they would just talk with us about their church and their life and they'd ask us questions about ourselves. I don't remember what I preached on, but I remember those dinners, those lunches. I remember a family in Baxter Springs, Kansas, who invited like 12 of us college kids over every Sunday after church. And sometimes we had to chop wood and sometimes we had to clean. Sometimes we had to take care of the house with them because they were opening their home to us and they would feed us. And I remember that family because of the time they spent investing in us. And I learned more about who God was through their witness than maybe some of the classes I took at a Christian college. See, if we're going to teach people to observe all that God has commanded us, it means they're going to have to watch us. They're going to have to be close with us. We're going to have to share things about us. Our parents... This is the calling of what discipleship as a parent looks like. That that discipleship looks like the Deuteronomy 6 model, right? In Deuteronomy 6, it says that you should teach your kids uh, when you sit at home, when you're over a meal, when you're watching TV, when you walk, or we can maybe drive because they didn't have cars then, so we'll do drive, right? Uh, In the morning before bed. That's all the time. (laughs) You know that, right? All the time, you should be teaching your kids. That's, That's what the calling is as a parent, well, we've said this over and over again. Maybe someday you'll believe me. It is not the job of the church to disciple your kids. That is your calling as a parent. We will come alongside you. We will help you. We will do everything within our power to help you be the best discipler of kids, your kids that you are, but you are uniquely trained and commissioned to be that discipler. And we want to help you do that, but it is ultimately your calling. And so if you're trying to live out the Great Commission, for many of us, it starts at home. It starts with us talking and having deep conversations with our kids more than just on Sundays. It means after you watch a movie with them, you start asking them questions about how the worldview presented in that movie does not line up with the worldview that the Bible tells us. It means coming home and asking them questions about how school was or or when you're homeschooling them, and getting more than just addition and subtraction, but talking about the truths and the realities of the gospel and how it's changing them. But in order for them to observe the things, what they're going to have to do is see you embody them as well. Kids will not read their Bible if they don't see their parents reading their Bible. Kids will not go to church if their parents don't go to church. Kids will not pray if they don't see their parents pray. The the earliest pictures that our kids get of faith comes from us. So that's our calling as parents is to live that way. That means we're going to have to be honest about how God is transforming us sometimes. It means husbands and wives, you have to fight for your marriage. You have to confess to each other. You have to let the gospel transform you in significant ways. But it means more than just teaching your kids. It means showing them what faith looks like. Kids, 
It's for you too. Living out the Great Commission means that you are called to do the same. And, and what I fear is, is we've somehow taught our kids that you have to wait until you've got it all figured out before you can start serving Jesus. And I promise you, you will not get it figured out until you start serving Jesus. You don't have to be perfect in order to be part of the Great Commission. You don't have to get it right every time. I love when we get to watch these kids like serve, or serve communion. They didn't do it right. Who cares? They did it. And maybe right is your standard and not theirs. Right? Maybe, maybe it looks a little bit different than the way that you would do it, but imparting faith onto them and letting them observe means they're gonna maybe do it a little bit different. And there's times where, man, I wish my kids would learn from my mistakes, but sometimes they need to make them themselves. And so we teach our kids, and kids, we learn what it means to follow Jesus. And what I love about this, that sometimes it's hard to remember that as we live out the Great Commission, it says, surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. We don't have to live out the Great Commission alone. We have the authority and power of the risen Jesus going with us as we do it. You cannot do it alone. So the fact that you are scared to live it out on your own is a good sign. You need Jesus. So the second one we read was Acts 1.8, right? The, the Mark verse was kind of a, a reminder of the Matthew ones a lot in the same way, but the Acts 1.8 one's a little bit different. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And there's some of the same words that are used within their same ideas. Uh, you have the power and authority uh, from Jesus giving you to the, to the mission of God to the world uh, that the Holy Spirit will be available to us to help us go through that and that we're called to the ends of the earth. But there's a different word that's used here in Acts 1.8 than there is in the Matthew 28 one. And that word is witness. Now a witness is someone who has seen or experienced something. Right, right. If you're in a courtroom and they call up a witness, the witness is supposed to communicate what they have seen or heard or experienced in order to either help the case or hurt the case. That's the point of a witness. And this is important to the, the commission that God has given us. That the disciples, those who have been called to follow Jesus, have not just heard about Jesus. They haven't just heard about Jesus, but they have experienced him in significant ways. You think about Paul, who spent a lot of his life persecuting those who claimed to know Jesus until one day on a road, he comes in contact with the risen Jesus Christ and his life is forever transformed. It happens to us too. You know, some of you may have had that supernatural moment where God speaks loudly to you and, and helps you understand tr truths about who he is. Maybe some of you have had, you know, those people in your lives who God has used to speak truth into you, whether parents or grandparents or you know, youth ministers or campus ministers or you know, other people in your life who have just spoken truth from God's word into your life and you've gotten to experience Jesus through them. Maybe, maybe you've gotten to experience the overwhelming presence of God Maybe it was a moment at a camp or in a worship service where you're singing and there is nothing to be explained except the presence of God in your heart at the moment. 
maybe the faithful reminder of God transforming you over years and years is that experience of God changing you. Maybe you've experienced some freedom from addiction that you know wasn't possible without the hand of God in your life. You see, a witness is someone who has experienced the grace of Jesus and goes out the other side transformed. That's what a disciple is. And as we're called to be disciples, we're called to take this message to Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, listen, I don't live in Jerusalem. I had to look up where exactly Judea and Samaria really is. And I know the earth is round. There is no end to it. Doesn't work that way. Right, so am I off the hook? Because that doesn't make any sense to me now. Well, no, right? Because we believe that the Bible was written to people in that time period, and these places meant something to those people. And so uh, let's figure out what those people meant. So Jerusalem was the place where they lived. It was their home. The people that they lived around, they knew. It was their family. It was their friends. It was their extended family. It was people who usually talked and acted and thought like them. So he says, take that message to those people who are close to you. But then he says, Judea and Samaria. Judea was the region that Jerusalem was in, right? It's where Israel uh, had lived, right? And so Judea were people that weren't necessarily close to them geographically, but looked and acted a lot like them. Then Samaria was not that way. In fact, if you read a lot of the New Testament, the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along very well. They kind of hated each other. So, so God, Jesus put that in there to remind us, hey, uh, I'm not calling you just to the people you like. In fact, I'm not calling you just to the people who will accept this message. I'm calling you to the people who may spit in your face when you share it. I'm calling you to people who, simply by the color of your skin, may cause a barrier to the gospel. I'm calling you to something more than just the comforts of your home to something more significant. So maybe for us, it reads more like I'm calling you to Webster, Clear Lake, or Friendswood, and, and also, uh, also Houston and Austin. Right, they're weird over there. I don't know. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's, you know, Webster or Clear Lake or Friendswood. You know, I'm calling you uh, uh, Seabrook. Like, I'm calling you to, to Seabrook and Houston, or Texas, but also those Californians. Right, we can make fun of them, but the problem is, is God's heart for them is just as significant as his heart for us. And just because they may not think or act like us in the ways we want them to doesn't mean the gospel does not need to go to them. And it is the calling of every follower of Jesus to put aside any difference we may have with people and say the gospel is greater than that. But then it says to the ends of the earth. You know, there are more people right now than ever in human history who don't know about Jesus. There are billions of people on this planet who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. So not only are we called to the people we're near, the people who are around us, and the people who may be close to us but don't think and act like us, but we're called to the ends of the earth. That means as a church family, we're going to have to listen to the call of God 
and possibly leave our homes and our families and the comfort of where we live to go overseas to a place where I don't even know the language or the culture to share the good news of Jesus. I got a text yesterday from a, a kid who was in the youth group when I first started here and said, hey, I don't know if you've heard, I'm going to Japan. And I'm gonna go to Japan and I'm gonna share the good news of Jesus with orphans in Japan. And I just wanted to let you know because you were part of the time period where God called me to this. I wanna be a church that is sending people to the far reaches of our planet. People who are willing to stand up and say, I am ready to go. And I don't know what it's gonna look like and I don't know how I'm gonna pay for it. And I don't know what it's gonna be when I get there, but I do know that I'm called to this and I'm going to go. And maybe it's not go across the world. Maybe it's go to the people around us and be called to a lifetime of vocational ministry where you are taking 40 hours, 40 plus hours a week and you are serving that time to the church and to organizations in our community that help take the good news of Jesus to our world, to equip and empower people in the church and the community to share that message. Maybe you're called to take a short-term mission trip to a place overseas where we can encourage and equip missionaries across the globe to continue the hard work of what they're doing. Or maybe God's calling you to take the good news of the gospel to your elementary school or your junior high or your high school or your college or your workplace or your neighbor. See, when we engage in the mission of God, it means we have to go. And go means you have to maybe walk across the street. Go means you have to be willing to be called that guy. Because the word of God has been so deeply rooted in you that the commission of God is all that you think about. I want you to hear this, that this calling to participate in the mission of God is not just a commission for the church, but it's a commission for the individual, for the disciple. You see, it's easy for us to sit back and say, I give money to the church, I pay the pastor, the mission of God is his responsibility. But when Jesus is standing on that mountaintop, and he's leaving, he's not talking to the church, he's talking to the disciples. So if we're gonna be a church that's gonna raise up missionaries and raise up pastors and raise up local people who are gonna go take the mission of God to their workplaces and their homes and their families, that means every sing single one of us is gonna have to commit to this. That's not just a calling for the paid professionals, it's a calling for you. And the church wants to come alongside you and help you do this. And we believe there's organizations out there that are really good at helping do a lot of the practical needs of what's going on. But that means we're gonna have to invest our time and our talents and our treasures in organizations and in people who are doing significant things both here and across the world. It means we're going to have to support places like Galveston in North Africa, to Haiti, Romania, Kenya, Tarleton, say we support missionaries who do work in those places. It also means locally that we have to invest in places like Tanglewood and Ozark where there's raising up of Christian leaders and missionaries and pastors of young people who are gonna go out and continue this work. 
means we're going to have to support and invest our time and our money and our talents into places like Interfaith Caring Ministries, Forgotten Sinners, Family Promise, Embrace, Kids Hope, all of these places, because that is where the mission of the God goes out from individuals into the community. And as a church, we can help support those relationships and foster them, but it requires people to step up and do it. And you know what happens when we do this? That was, was the last verse that we read in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. And, and as I was kind of studying this, I, I realized that the word reconciliation is probably not a word we use super often anymore. Uh, and so I was looking at maybe other translations and I came across uh, a message translation which was written by Eugene Peterson and it's less of a translation and more of a paraphrase. What Eugene Peterson did was uh, he recognized that some of the words in the Bible were hard for his grandchildren to understand. And so he just decided that he would learn Hebrew and Greek and write his own version. And so what he did was he wrote his own version of the Bible based off of his beliefs and understanding about the Bible. And so it is not exactly what I think the Greek writers specifically meant. He's not 100% right on all things. But I love what he says here. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, when he says, all this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him and called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into the kingdom into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. We are called as individuals who are part of a church to live out the mission of God. What that means is that we are calling people to understand who they truly are because of the gospel. Not as a friend of God. So are we going to take that commission lightly? Are we going to invest all of our time and all of our ministries and all of our focus in living out this mission to the world? And we're going to sing one more song, but you may need to take a moment and just pause for a moment and say, in what areas of my life am I resisting the commission of God? And what am I going to do to change it? Would you pray with me? Dear God, we recognize that so many times in our life we get so caught up in all the things that just need to get done that we forget that the purpose for us as followers of Jesus is to live out his mission to the world. That as you are transforming us and as we are continually using your word to understand how to follow you better, that we are also calling others to do the same. And so God, I just pray that this morning that we would understand the reality of the mission that you have for our world. That there are billions of people on this planet who need to know that there is a savior for their sins. That there is a God in human form who came so they didn't have to stay in their sin, but they can find connection and reconciliation with their creator. So God, I pray that you would speak loudly. That if there are people in this room who desire to go across the world to share the good news of who Jesus is, God, that you would speak loudly to them and they would hear your call. 
God, if there are people in this room who need to hear a call to full-time ministry of equipping the church for the mission of God to speak loudly. God, and if there are people in this room who have recognized that there's a separation between the mission that you've placed with them and how they see their workplace or their family or their neighborhood, that you would speak loudly to them as well. And by doing so, God, we would be a church who is committed to the mission of God with everything that we do. We just pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.